Hi, I'm Linda van Zolberg. Welcome to Nacho, where we feature the best stories of the week on Biz News. It was a busy week on markets, with process making headlines all over the world. A Dutch newspaper called it a relatively unknown South African company, but most media giants, including the Financial Times, Forbes, CNBC and Bloomberg, called the spin-off from Naspash, Europe's new tech giant. And they did arrive with a bang. Shares in process, which includes the group's 31% stake in Chinese tech giant Tencent, jumped by as much as 32% above its reference price in early trading, vindicating the decision by CEO Bob Van Dyke to move away from Johannesburg. Naspar CFO Basil Gordes spoke to Alec Hogg from Amsterdam about what will happen next. Well, effectively, Alec, what we've done is, right, is we've given our existing shareholders the opportunity to swap out some of their holding um, that they have on the JSC on the Euronex, and that's how we've created the liquidity. So, um, you and, and it works actually quite similar to the JSE. So now those shares are 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 registered on on the Euroclear. Um, shareholders are now making the elections. Uh, remember, we did give some shareholders the opportunity to pick Nasdaq if they wanted it. But um, the feedback coming back, the overwhelming demand is going to be for process in, in terms of the election. So. Um, we, we 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 will know that outcome by 16 September, which is next Monday, and then from there, um, process now becomes Europe's largest consumer internet company. In fact, three times larger than its closest peer. It becomes the third largest company on the Euronext by market capitalization. And then when you look at Liquidity, because some of these companies have 100% of their stock on, on the exchange, we're about the eighth largest um, on, on, on the Euronext in terms of volume. It was interesting to see the JSE trading this morning, where Naspers made up about a third of the trading, and Process made up about 20% of the trading. So more than half were the two companies, which which is interesting. Of course, it's the first day of listing and so on, so it might be exaggerated. But there was concerns that the JC would uh, struggle because of this listing. It might actually go the other way around. They might get a benefit from higher trade. I hope that would be the case, Alec, over the long term. Because at the end of the day, right, Process now no longer has the structural issue of being too big for its exchange, right? It then also has the advantage of opening up pools of capital that otherwise couldn't invest in a South African company or an emerging market company, right? So by taking those two things away, um, you actually allow the markets to better price the underlying assets. Once the market prices it, you then look at NASPAS and you go, well, hold on. You know, I'm buying the same assets. Why should I pay more for them? There's opportunity on the, on the JSC. It's fundamentally the same business. I should step in and buy some NASPAS. And that's, I think that's the sensible thing to do. Certainly what I'm doing. Um, um, and and hopefully that momentum builds. Um, so we have now this, we have this, th- those bigger pools of capital, better pricing the asset, and 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 we certainly hope that that also reflects on 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 the JSC and NASPAS and brings more money into South Africa as people go. Well, hold on, these are the same great assets that everyone's so excited about at the process level. We can buy them at a good price here too. So why don't we put some money behind that as well? And then certainly, 
you know, in going on the road shows, people have indicated to us that that's how they're thinking about it. Of course, not everyone, but um, we are seeing that type of thinking develop. And I think it's great. And it's, it's great for the JSC. It's great for NASPASS in South Africa. The SENSE announcement this morning about NASPASS's restricted stock plan trust. Yes. Uh, how, what is that all about? 176 million rand transaction. What is it? How do we understand that? So, um, Alec, historically, um, the way um, the management is incentivized is at two levels. First of all, we get e-commerce share appreciation rights. So that's really everything excluding our listed assets like Tencent and Mailru. And, um, and, and we have to create value there. And that accounts for about half Bob's and my compensation. And then the balance is related to NASPAS, and that makes ensures that we take structural action to address things like the discounts and so forth. And historically, the way we've got exposure to NASPAS is through options. Um, but the feedback from shareholders has been, yes, options are nice, and yes, it's clear that you only make value if you create upside, but um, the move seems to be moving to, 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 to um, these, these um, performance share units. So what effectively happens now is we don't, uh, we get actual stock. We only get it in three years time and we only get it if we actually outperform and, and a, a peer set of internet companies. So um, uh, it, it actually fundamentally aims to ensure that we continue to create value by outperforming a, a list of, of meaningful peers, um, including the likes of Facebook, Google, Amazon. And um, if we do that well and on a continuous basis, we, we get rewarded. If not, then then we don't. Capital gains uh, that are now being set, how does that work? Because a lot of South African shareholders will be looking at their process, which they've sold their NASPERS yes. to get the process and so on. Uh, what is the number going to be? Essentially, if you take process shares as a South African retail investor, not an as a South African retail or corporate investor, but this doesn't apply to institutional investors, you will pay capital gains on the full value of the process shares um, based on, on, on the closing today. Now, that's going to be more than paid off for by the, the value gains so far. And I think the last thing to, to bear in mind is it's not an extra tax, right? It's just a timing because um, you would have paid capital gains tax eventually when you sell your NASPAS shares. So it just brings things forward a little bit. But um, I think you, you're more than well funded on, on that payment as a result of, of how process is part of that. And as a result, I think most shareholders are going to take process. But it's not unique to South Africans. Um, several other jurisdictions will face a similar type of tax. So the tax man is sitting there saying, go process share price because the higher it closes today, the more capital gains will go into the treasury. Exactly. <laughs> the CEO that has been keeping a low profile is René van Veek of APSA, who is holding the reins while the search goes on to find a replacement for Maria Ramos, who departed suddenly last year. Alec caught up with him at the WEF meeting in Cape Town, and although he did not want to get involved in a discussion on whether Ramos left, hoping for a political post, he did tell Business where APSA was heading. So we're part of uh, Africa, for, and, and we see that as a huge opportunity. 
And you know, I went when, when I when I became CEO, I went out into the countries and visiting almost all of them by now. There are few that I still have to do. But it struck me like it's never struck me before. You know, it's always been how banks follow their SA corporates moving into Africa. And it struck me that we're missing a huge opportunity. It's Africa doing business with Africa. And you go and you see corporates in country, corporates that you never even heard of. Uh, I was in, in uh, Uganda and I went to a company called Sipla. It's an Indian based company, pharmaceutical, state of the art uh, manufacturing plant. And I said, we want to branch off, we want to go into Ghana, we want to go into Zambia, we have operations at Barclays or Absa, we have operations there, and the penny dropped. They're not talking about how they do business with South Africa, they're talking about doing business with Africa. And with an African bank. With an African bank. And so that, that just marries exactly what we want to position ourselves to be. Does it give you an advantage that you have such a strong retail base in South Africa? And now having acquired the, the operations on the continent, which Barclays have developed over many yeah. years. I don't think, well, I don't think the retail base in South Africa helps you at all. Uh, and let me say why. I think each country, it's unique when it comes to retail. The, the product that you need, the demand for whatever product, homelands isn't a big thing elsewhere in Africa as it is here in South Africa. Car finance isn't as big as what it is in South Africa. Credit cards are still very low. Overdrafts are still very low. Uh, so it is unique per country. And you can't say that is a recipe for Africa. You have to go, that is a recipe for this country. So our strategy is to really make sure that we've got good management in each country and a good board and set them free. As opposed to the old way that was run through Barclays, there's a product line. Then you have to clear stuff to the top before you can start Acting? No, 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 it's how we enable that strategy and release it in country. Corporate is different. There we have to see the opportunity that is for us to uh, work across Africa. Now, just before our meeting now, I met a client, uh, Agility, and how they want to set up warehouse space in Africa. Not in South Africa because we have it, but not elsewhere. And how they can use us, but now they want to see where we are in different countries. But the beauty is now you just look at that one. Now we can facilitate that wherever we operate. And we're going to look at how we do more and do, doing structured finance for them. And how they, in each country, would then also open their warehousing because it's really turnkeys there. You know, uh, so if a multinational wants to come in and put their products in, that's there. Don't wait for a three-year time frame and then all the approvals is already there. And then how they also enable SMEs. Uh, and so it's a 50-50 mix. Now the SMEs already lock into with us because we can finance them. We know the bigger picture. We know their business. And so it's a nice ecosystem that we developed through that. It, it's quite extraordinary the progress or the, the leap that you've made. As you said in the beginning of this part yeah. of the conversation, the idea always was South African banks would follow South African yeah. corporates into Africa. Yeah. And yet you've had to, or you've made a completely different mindset uh, approach here. Do you think that's that's an advantage in, in your longer term strategy? Look, I you know uh, I I have a huge respect for the other banks. They they shop, so I don't think they they are blind to that and that we've not gotten onto something that they don't know. Um, but I just think from a strategic thinking point of view, at least for for me, if it's uh, not that obvious for others, but for me it is. Hang on. 
focus more on Africa doing business with Africa as opposed to corporate SA doing business with Africa. So what have you pulled out of this Africa with here? Do you, do you go back to your office uh, reflecting with more optimism about what's going on in the continent, given your investments there? Yeah, well, I think the WEF is but one element of it. Uh, right now, for us strategically, um, it has an additional uh, purpose. In countries outside of South Africa, we're busy changing the brand name from Barkis to APSA. We have to complete that by June 2020. And we want to be absent in any case, but we have to do that, and we have to go about it sensitively, uh, because in many countries we've been there for 100, 100 years plus and some. So how you do it, land it safely, and that it is a something positive, and awareness. And so that's what you get by doing here, people coming from all over Africa, saying, well, APSA, well, this is APSA. SADC knows APSA. Further out to Africa, they don't. So that's part of the strategy. And the culture that you're finding in other parts of the continent, its they talk about the United States of America being 50 states and great differences in culture there. Clearly in Africa, 54 countries, there yeah. would be differences in culture yeah. as well. Have you found that a challenge to doing business? Um, yes and no. The one thing I, I do when I go to the countries meet our team, there is no difference there. Banking is banking. Okay. Um, and especially when you go to the corporates, banking is banking. And the needs are more or less the same. Um, the cultural side will come in when it gets to retail. There you have to be a little bit more different. Uh, if I take uh, Kenya, we've got a product they call Tamisa. Um, in Ghana, Juma, how you access that market uh, with working with cell phone companies. Um, and, and the way you do that is not the way you will do it in South Africa. That's culture you know, and, and, uh, and, and your approach. So you have, to, um, you have to look at it in a unique way. As I said right up front, retail will be bespoke per country. Are you bringing many lessons back from other parts of the country? Yes, to know, South that, that's, that's the other thing that was good. Uh, that you said, well, you know, uh, we should bring that to South Africa and bring it in here. So we're learning from that. And that's if you set people free. Otherwise, it's just, this is a book, and that's how you're going to do it, and that doesn't work. So you stymie, you stifle uh, innovation and that. And that is something that I picked up, especially in Kenya. Well, that was, that was really refreshing. While there was a bullish mood on the JSE after the process listing, the RMB's latest business confidence index compiled by the Bureau for Economic Research showed that it slumped to a 20-year low. The motor trade was the only sector which did not experience a collapse in confidence. The chief economist at the RMB, Etienne Leroux, joined the chorus of businessmen and economists urging the government for reforms needed to boost growth including the easing of immigration regulations, cutting red tape and simplifying visa regulations. As a gloomy mood set in, the latest figures of 58 people murdered in South Africa every day and more than 41,000 rapes made it even worse. More and more analysts are now asking if it isn't time for an IMF bailout for South Africa. The chief economist of the efficient group, Darby Root, told Biz News the short answer to that was no. 
in simple terms, the only reason why a country will approach the IMF to borrow money is if the country uh, is suffering from some sort of balance of payments problem. And that means that the country is in need on, of uh, in need of a foreign exchange, like for example US dollars, and they do not have sufficient dollars in the reserves, and they have to pay, for instance, pay off a foreign loan. So under these sort of circumstances, they can approach the IMF, ask for a loan in order to pay off this foreign loan. So that is one condition or one example of where a country may need to approach the IMF for a loan. Another example is, is a country, for example, wants to import uh, something from abroad during famine, as an example. So where a country without sufficient foreign reserves will approach the IMF and say, listen, we need to borrow money because we need to we need to import food into South Africa, and that's another example where a country may approach the IMF to borrow money. Keep in mind that you approach the IMF and you typically borrow dollars, as an example, and use the dollars to pay off something in dollar terms or to acquire something in dollars. And in the case of South Africa, the South African economy does not use US dollars. We use the South African currency called the South African Rand. And we can simply create a lot of South African rands if we need be. So we don't need dollars. We are certainly in need of the rands. And for that reason, we simply are not going to approach the IMF to borrow dollars. And what circumstances could we need or use an IMF loan for? A, a case of an instance where South Africa may need um, dollar a dollar loan will be where we have to pay off foreign loans, which is not the case. We have sufficient dollar reserves. I can think of one instance, but that's more of a political reason why South Africa may approach the IMF in order to borrow dollars, and that is for political reasons, simply using this as a stick or using this as a motivation uh, to get certain uh, difficult policy changes through. Uh, a good example could be where the Minister of Finance enters into a loan agreement with the IMF and use that as an excuse to restructure uh, the civil service in South Africa, uh, as an example, because we know that we are simply too many civil servants that are being paid by the state, and if the Minister of Finance then uses the IMF loan as an excuse why he needs to force through certain structural adjustments, that, that is one political reason why I think a, an IMF loan can come in handy. But apart from that, purely from a cash flow point of view, purely from a reserve point of view, uh, purely from our need for foreign reserves, South Africa simply does not need an IMF loan, at least not for the moment. So, so what do you say to people? I know that you um, correspondent with R.W. Johnson who say that, yeah, I know we, we actually do need one. No. The problem is, is that we are very, very deep in trouble, South Africa. We are the, the, the state-owned enterprises, the state itself, um, have been run into the ground financially. They are hopelessly mismanaged. The ANC and the ANC coalition government is, a, is the most destructive force the South African economy has ever seen. But that's nothing to do with US dollars. That has to do with the mismanagement of rand denominated loans. That has to do with the mismanagement of the finances of these various institutions, which are all funded in rands and not in US dollars. The South African currency is a South African rand. They've overborrowed in terms of South African rand from pension funds, and they've mismanaged this money, South African rands that they've mismanaged, not dollars that they have mismanaged. Uh, so I totally disagree with R.W. Johnson as an 
example, we are certainly very, very deep in trouble in South Africa. And the outcome of this is likely to be very high inflation eventually. In the meantime, we can expect further increases in taxes. We can expect things like, things like for example, prescribed assets. But all those things are rand denominated and not dollar denominated. So our problems in South Africa are not a lack of dollars. Our problem in South Africa is simply a lack of sufficient funds because of the mismanagement of the state-owned enterprises and the state which were all funded by rands and not by dollars. So what is your comment on um, Tito's turnaround plan for the problems that South Africa is in at the moment? Yes, I think Tito's plan is a, it's a step in the right direction. He's simply not going far enough. Uh, I've seen uh, a couple of things are quite interesting here. One is that this plan was released without much fanfare. Uh, I'm, I, I think the, the president certainly knew about this plan. But the, the president seems to be using Tito Mbwini as a lightning rod in some way or the other. Uh, and Tito Mbwini is taking a quite a lot of flack from the other ministers and from the other alliance partners, like we saw to uh, the South African Communist Party. So, and I do, really do like Tito Mbwini. I think he's one of the few ministers in the cabinet, including the president, that's got a good grasp on economics and on the financial markets. Unfortunately, I think Tito Mbuweni is out of step with most of the thinking of the rest of cabinet. And personally, I'm not so sure he's going to be around that much longer. But his plan is a good plan. It's a step in the right direction. It's not taking things far enough. But I guess politics is always standing in a way of a proper economic plan for South Africa. Finance Minister Tito Mbuweni may not agree with Ruud's assessment of his ability to implement the turnaround plan. He took to Twitter this week to enthuse South Africans to shake the boobab tree, rock the boat, get things moving and irritate the establishment and to let them think. Mbuweni said the country needed movement. Well, there's one case where red tape went haywire and the word common sense appeared to have flown out of the window. It's in the case of junior doctors at the Tigerberg Hospital who took two chairs from a dump at the hospital and decided to renovate them for their tea room. Or is it always more complicated in South Africa where people seem to have political motives? For this, one doctor was fired and the other two were slapped with a suspension. Labour lawyer Michael Bagram picks up the story. They then launched an appeal. I suspect what happened was the union, um, and we well, this is now only a surmise, that the union had complained and said, when well, our people are caught stealing, they have disciplinary hearings and you fire them. The appeal went wrong and it was turned down and they said, no, they're um, confirming the same, the same findings. And that's when they found their way to my office to see what could be done. Now, I said this sounds absolutely ridiculous. First of all, they weren't stealing anything. Second of all, even if they were stealing something, God forbid, it's of no value, so you can't, you can't charge someone for theft. Um, and I gave them the example that if someone stapled their kid's um, library card in the office, they're stealing one of the staples. Um, you wouldn't expect to get stolen. You wouldn't expect to get uh, a disciplinary hearing for stolen property. And I said, and finally, they worked for six months thereafter, so no one seemed to care mm. that this actually happened. So on all accounts, they couldn't be found guilty, but they were. And I said, I'm sure that the 
uh, provincial government knows nothing about this. And I'm sure that if someone with a little bit of uh, exercise could actually exercise their mind and say this is absolute nonsense, it's rubbish, um, and to reverse it, which is in fact what happened eventually. Uh, the problem is that our law has become an ass, um, that you can actually go through this enormous exercise, embarrassing exercise, go ahead and dismiss people who are actually vital to our system for no reason. It's yeah. an extraordinary story, and it's one that's been picked up uh, all over the place, social media, etc., for good reason. What has happened, of course, is the Provincial Department of Health, who got wind of this, then uh, immediately asked for an investigation into what's going on in the hospital. And that investigation obviously turned out trumps, where it showed that the chair was worth nothing, that they did this so-called theft in midday in front of all security with permission, and were, in fact, wanting to bring the chair back. And, in fact, it is back, and they worked for six. So as soon as the provincial head office found this out, they reversed all of this, and they said, sorry, this is we've learned a lot from this exercise. I hope they have learned a lot. There is no consequence. The embarrassing part is that these three doctors, who are young doctors, vitally needed in South Africa as anesthetists, um, have been extremely embarrassed. Um, obviously, it's a distasteful exercise. They've gone back to work. I know that Dr. Domingo um, called it quits and went to go and work for a private facility. But Drs. DeSwart and Morgan have gone back to work there. DeSwart has to because he's got an qualifier as an anaesthetist. Uh, but I can imagine this, this exercise has created a really sour taste in his mouth. Um, and it's something that we can ill afford in South Africa. And here is a story to warm your heart, a coffee company that employs mostly deaf people. If your first thought is also, now how would you order your favorite brew? The CEO of I Love Coffee, Gary Hopkins, explains. Well, so that's the thing is, you know, first and foremost, we're a coffee shop and we serve coffee. So we didn't want to make it difficult. So if you come into any of our outlets, um, there are numerous ways for you to communicate. So you can point at the menu, you can write it down, you can... There's ways, and we've got little blocks you can use. It's very easy, but if you want to sign, we have instructional videos right next to the to the to the counter, and you'll learn to sign. And, and the latte I'm going to show you is the letter L. Imagine I'm holding the letter L up, and I'm washing a window. That's that's how simple a latte is, and you've learned that in less than a second. So it's really very easy. Why? Why did you focus on deaf people? Because deafness is the disability that people forget about, and most deaf schools don't really teach subjects that help people get a job. So no maths, no science, no history, no geography, no biology, no economics. So, so what do they teach? So they teach basic literacy and some life skills, and most of them are taught to trade. So you get a lot of people coming out who are cleaners or maybe upholsterers. So it's, it's really very, it's very difficult for them to, to bridge the, the gap to get into, into the workforce. Also made worse by the fact that sign language isn't recognized as a language. So in hearing schools, no one's taught sign language. So you've got this huge divide between hearing and deaf. So when you start off, you've already got a disadvantage being deaf, and then right. you get into the system and... Uh, no one, no one knows you, no one understands you, no one wants to take a chance, and out you go. How did you learn about this? So 
I, I lived in Newlands and um, I, I was very near to death so there and I, and I went in and one day said you know what are the challenges facing the deaf community and they told me and it, it seemed to me an obvious solution I'm one of those weird people that problem solve on the moment and I thought everyone wants coffee so if, if you want coffee bad enough we'll serve you coffee and uh, somewhere along the line you'll learn a bit of sign language and we'll bridge that gap and we'll create jobs is what we've done Do you pick your staff up straight from school? We, we have absolutely no minimum entry requirements. So we get them, some, some straight from school, some have been out of school for years sitting at home. Um, and you know, we have success stories. We've had one of our baristas, one of our first baristas, who'd been sitting at home for six months unemployed. He came and he, he, he was the first one we taught to make coffee. He then became our head trainer and now he's a chef. He's been with us four and a half years. So those are the kind of stories we tell. We, we, we don't discriminate at any level. We'll get you in and we'll get you going. You said a chef, so you've expanded out of not just Correct. Uh, serving so, coffee. So um, we're actually in, a, in a quite an expansive space at the moment, is that we have in Cape Town three sites, uh, in Johannesburg two sites, and one of those sites is with WeWork, the, the office sharing space, and they've, they've chosen us as their coffee supplier. So wherever they expand, um, we expand with them as baristas and, and, and supplying coffee, but also food services. So we're setting up central kitchens, which allows us then to expand our training, so in most sites, we have roasters and chefs providing food and coffee. And you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, for my sins I am. I'm a social entrepreneur. I, I like to make that distinction. You know, anyone can make What money. is the distinction? Yeah. Well, the distinction is that, you know, making money for yourself is, is one thing. Making money that has an impact on someone's well, someone else's well-being is really what we want to do. And we measure our impact purely on the numbers we employ. That's really almost our sole measurement. Though profit is part of it. And all profit simply goes back into the business. And that was all your business news in a nutshell. The full interviews are available on our website.